I want to frame tonight's message in some terminology that is so simple, you'll be tempted to think, I knew that without you telling me. But here's the challenge we run into. We constantly know a lot of things that we don't apply. Amen? We know a lot of things we simply don't apply. And so we just need reminding. Four words that I want to rattle around in your head the whole time. Four words. You ready? Ultimacy always rules immediacy. It's tough to remember that when you're in an emotional or physical crisis, but ultimacy always rules immediacy. If you say, Tim, it sounds like you're saying God's sovereign. I am. It sounds like you're saying that what God has promised across eternity will trump whatever's going on right now. I, I, that's exactly what I'm saying. And somebody's saying, well, if that's all you're saying, I knew that. But do you? Has the trouble of these days, these recent days, been making you forget that ultimacy always rules immediacy? Let me see if I can put this on the sidewalk. And if you're a, if you're a parent or a grandparent, this will land on you in a big way. If you're a kid, you'll, you'll feel accused, maybe. Um... Didn't go a lot of places growing up, but one place that I enjoyed going, and my brother, he'll, he'll tell you, we love to go down to Wilmington. We'd go to Wilmington, we'd see our aunt and uncle, and um, we, uh, my favorite thing, David, was going up to the warship. And it seems like no matter how many times I asked Uncle Kirk, he'd take me. You know, that was, that was my favorite. But uh, we, we started going over there before we had I-40. Now you can get down to our uncle's house in under three hours. But back in the day, it took, uh, you know, <coughs> four plus hours to get down there. It's just not fast. And I was one of those kids who had no concept of time, but would immediately bug you about when we were gonna do something, when it was gonna start, and when it was gonna end. So I might say to my parents, okay, what time are we leaving? You know, they say nine o'clock, you know, what time is it now? Seven. So we're leaving in like 10 minutes, right? Uh, what time are we gonna get there? Two o'clock. Okay, so that'll be tomorrow, right? I mean, I wanted to know because adults seem to really care about time, and I, I thought I should care about it, but I didn't have any concept. I also was that sort of kid who the moment we got in the car, I was, are we there yet? How much farther? And what's the magical phrase? I gotta pee. Like, we're still in the driveway. I know. I gotta go. I was also that kid, and you could have 25 snacks in the car, I still wanted to know where we were going to stop and could we get something. Now, if you've ever drunk, driven somewhere with a kid, right, uh, you, you can just totally see the scenario, right? Like, they did, I mean, you got it, man. You got your GPS, you got your map, you know where you're starting from, you know where you're going. You see the whole trip. You know that place where it's got the good rest stop. I mean, you got it. They don't have it. Now take your entire life and look at it from God's perspective. And look at how many things we're fretting about across the journey that he sees from beginning to end with crystal clarity. And still, <laughs> we're wondering, where's the snack break and do you have something besides this? How much farther are we there yet? 
I need a bathroom break. And sometimes we spend some fitful seasons kicking around in the seat rather than enjoying the ride. Sometimes we fret the driver more than we anticipate the destination. When we step into a backer tonight, we see just one of these sort of scenarios. And it's high stakes. It's super high stakes. Habakkuk has already says, hey God, these are some really bad people doing really bad things and they're after some good people. Well, what are you going to do about this? Are you, are you even paying attention? And God has told Habakkuk, he says, boy, I got this. You hang on. I got this. Habakkuk's not satisfied and he actually takes his dissatisfaction to God. And you know what's cool? God receives it. He fields, F-I-E-L-D-S, fields Habakkuk's frustrations without demolishing Habakkuk. I immediately, the moment I see how God is operating, I'm encouraged. Because here I am, I've read my Bible, I'm supposed to know this stuff, but I forget that ultimacy always rules immediacy. And I'm the kid kicking against the faithful father, and he's the good father, loving is very confused and frustrated kid. Maybe you guys can relate. Let's look at Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning at verse number 12, and go into chapter 2, verse 5. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. And makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury. And his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net. And mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at, the, at my watch post. And station myself on the tower. And look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Father, as we open your word, I pray, Father, that you open our minds to understand our hearts, to have more affection for you. Father, truly, we run headlong into the walls we ourselves have built. Deliver us from our small understandings and give us a view of heaven. In Jesus we pray, amen and amen. 
when Casey wrote the outline for Habakkuk, he did us a good service. And so I, I print part of his words just right here for you guys to see. And I'm only reading them to point them out how excellent his analysis is. Habakkuk's response to God's first explanation is basically, how can you, God, of pure nature, allow more wicked people to oppress a more righteous people without doing anything about it? Basically, he's doing what? He's yelling, Andrew, you told us in the first service. He's saying what? It ain't fair. That's not fair. Any parent ever heard that? I had a great uncle. I had a great uncle. He was kind of funny, except he wasn't trying to be funny. If you told him it wasn't fair, he would say, I'll just kill both of y'all. <laughs> not all that helpful, but kind of hilarious. He was too old and decrepit to catch me anyway, so. <laughs> if you go back to last week, uh, Casey was much more eloquent, but if I drug one point out of that that was relevant for today, basically, basically, God told Habakkuk what our dad told us a few times. My dad would say, y'all better stop it before I pick one of y'all up and beat the other one with you. <laughs> I'm going to grab these Chaldeans, and I am going to whip your behind with them. And Habakkuk goes, okay, I understood what you said. That ain't right. I don't like it. It's not fair. And we are kind of sitting there going, second, except God's not taking a vote. And Habakkuk goes, I don't understand. And I love that he's complaining to God. And I love that God doesn't, really, doesn't just you know, like turn him into dust. He receives him. He's dealing with his beloved child. A lesson there. A lot of times we complain this way instead of that way. Start that way, and it'll be less complaining this way. Just, you know, be honest. But this is nothing new. We won't go there, but if you were to turn to Isaiah chapter number 10 and verse number 5, as God is dealing with Israel, you know what he says to that kingdom? He says, woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. In other words, he says to this kingdom, he says to, to Judah, I'm going to take the Babylonians and whip your behind. He says to the Israelites, I'm going to take the Assyrians and I'm going to whip your behind. And then I'm going to judge the Babylonians. I'm going to judge the Assyrians. And the kingdom of God, you know, the people of God weren't separated because of the works of God. They were separated because of the brokenness of man. Much like the church of today. God doesn't divide his church. Somebody say amen. The church is divided because of her sin. But do you know what faithful God is doing? Raising up in all corners of the earth fiery whips with which to chastise his children. And let us not make any mistake. He will judge the tools of his hand. But in the process, he will chastise the people of his heart. This is nothing new. Habakkuk doesn't understand it. I, I, I'm going to use an illustration here with permission. Uh, Amy Edley couldn't be here today. And, and, and you know, she basically like, what's a preview? Uh, she's on vacation. So I, she sat down. I gave her a preview. Amy is a smart lady. And one thing she hates is when people intentionally try to make her feel dumb. She feels offended. It hurts her feelings. Uh, she's, told, she's told me that. You know, I've done it. Uh, I, I can honestly say I think every time I've ever done it was, was not on purpose. Or I was picking at her and went too far and I've had to apologize. And So I said to Amy, I said, imagine 
Imagine if I right now intentionally try to make you feel dumb and hurt your feelings. Uh, she goes, oh, I get mad. <laughs> All right. Anne would be hurt. I says, now imagine a complete stranger comes in here not knowing how much that hurts you and accidentally does it. Would it hurt as bad? She, she saw exactly where this was going. See, it's not that one sin is worse than another sin. It's that the people of God sinning against a holy God they know is doubly worse than an unholy people sinning against a, a holy God they don't know. So what the way we like to try to talk is we say, uh, you know, uh, you bring up anything and a Christian will immediately go to the max. At least I ain't killed nobody. We might say, okay, you did, but you know a holy God who would say, don't even use foul words against another soul. So one, he has a he has a higher standard than our culture's going by. Two, he is a greater light. And if you've been in a greater light, then to choose any darkness is a shame. So Habakkuk is going, I don't want, I don't get it. I don't get why you're these people, you know. I don't get why you, you're using these evil people. So inside of Habakkuk's response to God, let me share a couple of really helpful things that I think will help us shape a much more healthy and helpful type of, of lament. One, let's see from Habakkuk's example that helpful complaints rest in the sovereignty of God. He starts his complaint very quickly by saying, you're holy, God. Your eyes are pure. In other words, it is a theological reality in which he approaches God. When he approaches with worship. He recognizes who God is and says God is, is worthy and holy. He is exactly who he is. And then he says, so I don't get why. I don't get why you're not doing something about this. A lot of our complaints aren't helpful because we only consider how we feel, not who God is. We only consider what we see we want to happen versus what God has says will happen. Uh, all the stuff going on in the world right now, right? All the nutty things. This life took me by the courthouse this past week and... Uh, Someone approached me and wanted me to sign a petition. Uh, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. It's probably on, on, on no side of the spectrum I'm going to just brush you off. Uh, I remember walking down Nashville and engaging with the people who wanted me to sign the petitions about the animals. Right, Andrew? You talked to them one time. I know. I know I did. I, I'm not that guy. I'm not going to just brush you off like you don't matter. And I'm also not going to tell you a lie and just move on. So they wanted me to sign like, yo, what's up? You care about dogs? How about people, right? Well, this guy wanted me to sign a petition about some hot topic going on in our culture right now. I was like, well, what are you hoping to get out of this? Well, they wanted to do something in the flesh to benefit the flesh. And I'm saying to them, you haven't looked at what God's going to do with the world. In other words, just like we say, you haven't lifted your eyes to a different horizon. So you're just flesh against flesh. And what I know is we're not battling the flesh, but we're, we're going against principalities and powers of the air. And so I want to bring God into every conversation. We were singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, in the first at the four o'clock service. And you get to that part where it says, let all quarreling cease and 
all that stuff. Uh, Casey, Casey says only the gospel will do that. Amen. Amen. Now, Carrie had a mom reaction. I was seeing it in the first service with Casey and the second service with Carrie. Carrie goes, yeah, just stop it. <laughs> but we might say, how? Why? Under what power? For what reasons? Only the gospel, Casey. Only the gospel could ever. So they want me to sign this petition, and I, and I want to share the gospel with them. And they don't want to see hope and light and truth forever. They just want their way right now. We have to put God's sovereignty, God's plans, God's promises into our complaints. We have to put God's person into them. And sometimes we're kicking and screaming. And even believers are kicking and screaming against the goads, against the will of God. Also, also, inside of Habakkuk's response, I'd say this. An honest survey of the situation yields both horror and hope. Somebody says, where did you get that from? Let me tell you where I get the hope. I get the hope in looking at the character of God. God is holy. God is holy. And because of God's holiness, he is above, he is outside, he is beyond, he is utterly different than all of this stuff down here. And I find a lot of hope in that. Amen. I just find a tremendous amount of hope. I don't mean wishful thing. I mean fixed expectation. You might think, silly illustration, you might think of it like this. Grant, you'll love this one. You'll love it. So you're down in a game, right? You're down in a game. It's uh, You're down 12 with three minutes to go. And you, you're just like, man, I feel hopeless. And then suddenly, suddenly, in that last few minutes, your team signs Michael Jordan in his prime. You're down 12, 12 points. The mo he walks out to the court. How much does your vision shift in that moment? You just like everybody else sit down. <laughs> My mans can get 12 points, right? As crazy as that silly illustration sounds, if you say God is, and you know God at all, it shifts whatever you say next. You sh Kiss him for me too, baby. <laughs> well, you're facing whatever. You take this look around, and you can have hope because God is not dead. So when we look at the horror, and we cannot escape the horror, we cannot. I like, I like, Habakkuk's assessment, he says, God, you, you've made us like just really weak things. We're just like fish in the sea. We're helpless. The, God, you're holy, but the people are helpless, and we're not seeing how these two things are going to be reconciled. All we see is the horror. Why do we see the horror? Because you're holy, yes. We're helpless, yes, and the enemy is hateful, and he doesn't look like he's going to do anything about the enemy. And I love the analogy of fish. He's picturing the Chaldeans coming down through there uh, like Forrest Gump on his shrimp boat after the, the hurricane. He's getting all the shrimps. He's just getting everything. And he, Habakkuk sees the people of God as hooked, snared, gathered up, scaled, gutted, eaten, and forgotten, and God seems not to care one iota from his perspective. Have you ever felt that way? 
Have you ever been that person who says to yourself, you, you may be, you may be tactful enough you've never said it out loud. I've said it out loud. What's up, God? I go to work all day and I do an honest day's work and I do the best I can and I'm, I'm doing honest work too. It's a, I give them all I got and it's a good work to be doing. And I come home and, 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 and I come home to my family and I don't cast away my wages in foolish pursuits and I'm not bound up in, in hobbies so much so that I, I can't fulfill my, my duties as a husband and a dad and a minister of the gospel. I, I, and here I am, God, and I'm honest and I don't drink and I don't do all this foolishness and I'm not doing dope and I'm not cheating people, but it looks like everybody who does whatever they want are prospering and I'm being left in the dust. Y'all are good people. You've never felt like Maybe you've never said it out loud. I'm just confessing, Carson. I've said it out loud. No, I'll get it, God. I'm a good guy. <laughs> You'll put somebody down. I have a list. <laughs> and I can name names. My back is going, I don't get it. And God's good. Yeah, I know. I know. But I'm going to pick up the bad dudes and whip your behind with them. Remember your most whiny, childish voice. And let's together say it's not fair. You ready? It's not fair. It seems to me you got these bad kids and you're favoring them over your good kids. I was like, oh, it's not. I'm going to kill my bad kids. <laughs> I'm going to get them. <laughs> Here's the truth. It's tough, tough to wrestle with. God does what God does because God is who God is and he does not need one bit of our permission or approval to be himself. And we run into that constantly. And Habakkuk's running into it now. Except he really has an exemplary attitude. It's, we looked at Job. Job sometimes didn't, right? He just truly didn't. Job was, Job was mad. He was, God, you get down right now and explain yourself to me. <laughs> Habakkuk's going, God, I really want to know I really want to, I don't get it. And so I love what he says in Habakkuk 2.1. He says, I'm going to get my place on the wall, and I'm going to wait for you to answer me. And it's not, I'm telling you, the language, there's no arrogance. In some translations, they even, they even superimpose that there's no arrogance by saying, and I'll even take your approval. I'll take you getting on me, because I really want an answer, and I know you're going to answer. And what I love about this, what I appreciate so much about Habakkuk's position is the watching workman may sometimes be exasperated, but he should also be expectant. Like care, care. Uh, uh, everything we do at home is three against one. Uh, we pick on care mercilessly. It's true. It, it's hilarious. It's also our love language to her too. So you feel love care? Yeah, you should. Right. So, so care is always, I'm telling y'all, she's, she, unless she's in teacher mode, whatever that switch is, when she's not in teacher mode, she's always gracious, she's always sweet, she's always kind, she's always forgiving. She just is. She's always hardworking, right? And, you know, if 
if Kara does get frustrated, like she got, she's sitting right over there in front of that seat where you're in, Ray, Wednesday night. She got frustrated with me. You know what I totally rested in? That I wasn't going to have to fight for us to make up. I wasn't going to have to return flesh for flesh. I, I got frustrated. I, yeah, I did it. I did. Right. So, so here I was knowing that I was out of sorts with my wife, but I also knew I wouldn't stay out of sorts with my wife. I just knew it. Habakkuk's totally frustrated, but he knows God is good. He's exasperated by what he sees, but he's expectant because of who he knows. Ultimacy always rules immediacy. Oh my Jesus. And so the Lord responds to him. And what he basically says is just what Casey gave us as he outlined the book. Promises may be fulfilled slowly, but they surely will be fulfilled. Casey, I would always say it like this. Ultimacy always rules immediacy. You're looking around Habakkuk, and you see this evil people, and it seems like I'm unjust. But you're only seeing this case in the middle of it unfolding. There will be justice. There will be justice. Hang on to me. And then there's two manners of responding to this reality. Casey said it like this, there's arrogant self-reliance and there's living by faith. I say it like this, there are those who are looking up and there are those who are puffed up. And what it boils down to is it's this simple. Whether I finish this outline or not, that's not the point. What it boils down to is this, is there's two ways of responding to the reality of God. One is you can be puffed up, arrogant, self-reliant, self-centered, self-focused. The other is you are only justified by faith, and you will continue to walk in the faith that justifies you. You'll live by that faith. Inside of this self-centeredness, there's an extreme where you, you make up some version of salvation, and you chase it for all your worth. Or another extreme is living like there's nothing to be saved from. Both of them basically take the stance, I'm going to eat, drink, and be married, but tomorrow I'll die. I'm going to make life about me. Living by faith. Oh, and where do you see that? Just look at how the Chaldeans live. They, they snatch up people like fish. They, 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 they worship the very tools of their sin. That's what Habakkuk says. Is they use these nets, and then they worship the nets and make offering to the nets. They're idolatrous people who use everything at their disposal to get what they want. Or there's living by faith. What does living by faith do? Living by faith waits on this God like Habakkuk is doing. And so what does he tell Habakkuk in no uncertain terms? He says, listen, listen, the wicked are here and I'm going to use the wicked. And you got to remember, you got to remember Habakkuk, ultimacy rules immediacy. I'm going to use them. I am. But what you need to do is in the middle of what I'm doing, in the middle of what they're doing, you need to walk by faith. You need to keep walking by faith. So it gives him some counsel. He, he says, write it down and walk by it. What do you mean? If you look at verse number two, the second part of verse number two, he said, write down the vision. Make it plain on tablets. People are going to need to see this. 
They're going to need to see, Habakkuk, they're going to need to see that, that you can complain to me. And they're going to need to see that I have a plan. And they're going to need to see, Habakkuk, that, that, that there's, a, there's a way to walk in an evil world. I want you to write it down because people, they're going to want to find this and they're going to want to direct their path. They're going to want to run with me. They're going to want to walk with me. So write it down so that other people can see this way. Write it down and walk by. Wait with eager expectation on what I'm going to do. Wait for my promises to be fulfilled. Watch God move. You may be in heaven, church, at the end of earth's story. But you watch and wait. You want to see some examples of this? You yourself turn to Hebrews chapter number 11 and watch all those people who lived by faith. It says in Hebrews 10 38, they quote, they quote in Hebrews 10 38, they quote Habakkuk 2 4. And then they tell you some illustrations of what that looks like in Hebrews 11. They say, this person walked by faith, this person walked by faith, this person walked by faith. Then they get down toward the end and they say, and it cost them their life. They were sawn in half. They were disregarded. They were disdained. They were discarded. And the world wasn't worthy of these sort of people. Wow, the world's not worthy of people who walk by faith. They see holy God. They see a horrific man. And they say, I'm going to walk by faith in this world. And it's not just some kind of faith. It's objective faith. In the Old Testament, they look toward a Messiah. In the New Testament, we do both. We look back at the Messiah who has come, and we look forward to the Messiah who's coming, and it's the same one. And we take a choice. We take a position. And we walk humbly with our God, and we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. I know this is a lot. Believe it or not, I had so much more that I didn't I, I, I let myself off the hook by printing two more pages in the bulletin just to discuss some of it I'm not going to touch. But here's what I see. I see a church in America that is deeply in trouble. You know why? Because we're raised, the American church is raised in a culture that is more Chaldean than it is Christ. You say, preacher, where do you see that? You just think about our history in the last hundred years. Just look at the last hundred years. We have taken the weapons of war the power of political influence, the machinations of business, the tools of economy, and we have gone and bullied every nation we possibly could. We have stuck the straws of oil rigs into every corner of the earth and defended them by ship and soldier just so we could suck oil and live at our leisure. And we look just like the Chaldeans to me. And the church has taken up some privileged position, and we love our Americanism, except we're supposed to be denying our Americanism by living out the call to be salt and light. We're just supposed to be disdaining greed. We're supposed to be recognizing bullies and chastising them. We're supposed to be standing in the gap as sacrificial lambs, not standing in the line to kill our fellow man. Instead of shaping American culture, we've been shaped by American culture. And so it's no wonder to me that God is raising up the wicked among us 
and using them like a fiery whip to chastise his children. Now, who likes this message? <laughs> I don't come to church for this. <laughs> Except I do, because I want the truth. Amen. And the very difficult truth is, we have a greater light, so it's a greater shame when we walk in darkness. And judgment begins where at church? At the house of the Lord. At the house of of the Lord. You remember the letters to the churches in the book of the Revelation? <laughs> Just go read all of them. <laughs> now, I still have hope because God is. Amen. And I want to take up what's been written down. And I want to see those things that have been written down as the true pathway, the map, the non-secret secrets to finding the narrow way. And I don't want to ignore the social issues going on in my culture, but I want to face them with the gospel. I want to face them with high hope. I want to face them believing on the Lord, not just whining about my position. I'll tell you, I didn't say this. I, I, I didn't say this in the four o'clock service. I really wanted to. I saw the time. I see the time now, but this is the last one of the day. Y'all just have to take a whole week to get over it. Get forgiven. It's why, it's why I believe in planting churches, creating lighthouses, building salt farms. It's why I believe in My Life Matters with everything that's in me. Get in there, love these kids, teach them, be salt and light. Teach them that it's not about what kind of shoes you wear or what kind of song you can sing or who can bounce a ball. It's about God living in you and teaching you how to value every human being around you. This is no simple kids activity. It is life and death and eternity. And it's placed right before us. And I'm, I'm, I'm 49 years old in August. And I'm still so stoked about this. It's what I think about day and night. I'm not saying melt in the background. I'm saying come up and be what God's called us to be. I'm not saying wither without hope. I'm saying stand up because we have hope. But we got to start being a different sort of folk. We got to take our whipping and come out more in love with Jesus. So Habakkuk encourages Tim Bozo's socks off. And I'm not, I'm not speaking out of anger or fear. I'm inspired. I'm fired up. And I just cannot give my life to anything less than the gospel anymore. I just cannot. I can't give my life to just selfish pursuits. I cannot live as a snatch and grab American if it causes me to forsake the go and give call to kingdom living. I just can't. I can't live like all this is about me. I see my father's whipping hands. I feel the frustration of the days I live in. And I know that ultimacy always rules immediacy and will not always be so. So with all humility, we take up our elements and we celebrate our real hope. What is our real hope? Our real hope is that the once come king will be the returning king. It's fixed. He knows when he's returning. We don't, but he knows when he's returning. So on the night that they instituted the Lord's Supper, they were 
we're celebrating the the being set free out of out of um, Egypt. They were celebrating Passover when the death angel passed over their house. And Jesus basically says, hey guys, that was real, but it was also a picture. It was a picture of your ultimate deliverance. So I'm going to give you guys some symbols and I'm going to pack them with substance. He takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks. He tells them, this is my body broken for you. Thank you, God, for the body of Christ. He grabs that cup, which is already packed with so much significance, significance. And he, he tells them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you know who you're proclaiming that to first? Anybody want to take a guess? Yourself. Amen. You're saying, I take the body. I take the blood. I have hope. The deal God made with me was 100% out of his goodness. And I stand here because of him. Thank you, God, for the blood of Jesus and the covenant. Father, as, as we sing, as we sing, fill our hearts with a sobriety about the world we're in. Fill our hearts with an affection for the God who has the whole world in his hands. Lord, we do take the horrific inventory of this ugly world we live in, and we also set it against the true and eternal hope that we have. God is. God is. Father, we know this theology Help us to put it on the sidewalk and not be tossed around by the circumstances of our day, but to be stable, able to both receive your graces and share the very gifts you've given your church. Strengthen Israel, not in the face of these present troubles, but in spite of them, just in spite of them. Even use these present troubles make us more gospel focused. In Jesus I pray. Amen.